0: Hey, you guys, and welcome back to the News Du Jour, a calmer space to consume the news. So (laughs) when I say that the news is moving fast these days, I don't just mean things to do with Israel and Palestine and that conflict. I mean to do with everything, but especially today with the Speaker of the House. What I had written for that portion of today's episode is now completely irrelevant, um, right as I am going to record this. So it's frustrating, but at the same time, what I'm planning to do today is just read you what I wrote and then give you the update right at the end. It's not a very big part of today's episode, but I do think it's important to kind of have the backstory that I had prepared for you guys so you can understand the context of the newer developments. Anywho, without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into the news for today. We are going to start with that story about the Speaker of the House, and then we have a longer story to do with Trump um, and updates to the Georgia case, and then we will jump into some Israel updates. Let's get into it. So like I said, I'm just going to read for you guys a little update I had about Speaker of the House and then give you the breaking news that I just received. Let's dive in. Republicans nominate Tom Emmer. So we've been here before, you guys. The Republicans have found themselves another candidate, another nominee for Speaker of the House, a man by the name of Tom Emmer of Minnesota, who is the House Majority Whip. Basically, the whip's job is to count the votes that they have. So, like, let's say a piece of legislation was coming up. They would take a tally of who is planning to vote for this piece of legislation, who's already saying they're going to vote against it, and then who is undetermined, and basically go and whip up support for this bill. The Republicans have been at this for three weeks now. This entire situation is completely unprecedented, but every day that goes by makes it feel more and more like a joke or like Groundhog's Day and a reference that history teachers will be chuckling about for years to come. Some other names that have been thrown in are Mike Johnson of Louisiana, Kevin Hearn from Right Here in Oklahoma. Pete Sessions of Texas, Austin Scott of Georgia, Jack Bergman of Michigan, and Bryson Donald of Florida. We will definitely keep you guys posted. And that brings me to the update, which is Tom Emmer, who we were just talking about, has already dropped out. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I kept hearing Republicans say like on different news outlets, we're going to have a speaker by the end of the day. That did not happen, and we are right back to square one, so basically all those names I just listed, their hats are still in the ring, and we'll see what happens next. I'll keep you guys posted, but I'm really hoping that this is over very soon. And for our next story to do with Trump, another attorney turns. We are finding out that Trump's former attorneys, you guys, are more afraid of prison than they are of him. They're all turning on him one by one. First, it was Scott Hall. Next, it was Sidney Powell. Then Kenneth Chesbro, And now, finally, Jenna Ellis, who tearfully read a statement in court explaining that she plans to plead guilty. She will pay a $5,000 fine and testify truthfully against the other co-defendants. The New York Times podcast, The Daily, explained yesterday that this is often how this type of case is conducted. If you guys remember, this is a racketeering case, which is basically the type of case that's usually used to catch a mob boss. So think of it in those terms. With a mob boss, there are layers and layers of like foot soldiers beneath them. The foot soldiers can either clam up and protect their leader Or they can show prosecutors where the bodies are buried. And by that, I mean literally in a mob boss case, but figuratively here. Anywho, in a mob case, they would want to go for the weakest links first and then get them to turn. And then work their way up to gather more and more information and evidence as they go so that then once they're in that inner circle of the leadership, they can say, look at this mountain of evidence we have against you. Just give us a little bit more about this leader and you're off the hook too. Every time they get someone to plead guilty, that person hands them over more information and more evidence so that they can ultimately take down these top dogs who are the ones really orchestrating everything. Because if you think about it, if they just managed to get some of the foot soldiers but can't like slay the full dragon like if the leader is still out there they're going to still be committing crimes so it's obviously their ultimate goal to get the leadership and that is what is happening in this Trump Georgia case as well they're picking off those lower level attorneys but people who do likely have record of communication with Trump like a paper trail connecting to him and they will work from there inward towards his inner circle Sometimes the inner circle doesn't turn, but by that point, they already have so much evidence that they can take them down too. Jenna Ellis, who we're talking about today, for example, is very linked to Rudy Giuliani in particular, according to ABC News. She stood next to him as they both espoused falsehoods on national television, things that they have both admitted now were not true about election rigging. She was also one of the attorneys paving the way to try and argue that Vice President Mike Pence could somehow overturn the election results on January 6th. And that is a falsehood that effectively cost five people their lives. As with the other guilty pleas, this deal requires that Jenna testifies truthfully or else her deal could be revoked. We'll definitely keep you guys posted. And with that, we will go ahead and jump into some Israel updates. So yesterday we let you guys know that it was breaking news. Two more hostages had been released. So we wanted to provide some more color and backstory for that mini story. Let's get into it. Two elderly women were allowed to leave captivity based on humanitarian grounds, according to a statement provided by Hamas. They were 79 and 85, respectively. At least one has spoken to the press. With the help of a loved one, she revealed what happened to her and where she had been taken. She kept track of exactly where they had taken her, and it was, indeed, into underground tunnels that she described as a network. She said, quote, it looked like a spider web, end quote. Red Cross facilitated basically the exchange of the hostages and confirmed their release working with Qatar who again has been instrumental in these efforts to get the hostages out safely that said we still have hundreds awaiting rescue from Hamas this is the largest hostage crisis on record that I can find out about at least the closest thing was like I think 66 hostages so this is far from over 220 hostages, including 10 Americans, are still unaccounted for, according to NBC News. Hamas asked that we talk and negotiate, and then they will go ahead and release all the rest of the hostages. But President Biden publicly said to the press that, quote, Hamas has it backwards. We should have the hostages released safely and then we can talk, end quote. So something we haven't talked a lot about on this podcast to do with this, you know, ongoing conflict is homes destroyed. So we've talked a lot about death tolls, the need for aid. But something I wanted to spend some time talking about today is the loss of people's homes and their belongings and their livelihoods. According to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the U.N. reported that 45 percent of homes were destroyed in Gaza by the Israeli airstrikes. So that is almost half of the people living there who are now homeless. That makes about one million people who no longer have homes and are probably without the vast majority of their belongings. Just for a second. Imagine that half the people in your city or half the people in your neighborhood were suddenly without a home and missing the vast majority of their belongings. And all the businesses, about half the businesses in the city are gone too, physically destroyed. That is what the people of Gaza are facing right now as we speak. And obviously it is impossible to have an economy that's functioning like this, um, really to have a functioning society in general. But In addition to the insurmountable grief that these people must be facing with the death toll, um, loss of children, they're also facing a loss of their home and basically that place that they feel safe. Back in October of 2020, there was a terrible ice storm here in Oklahoma City, and my husband and I basically had to be out of our home for two straight weeks. And this isn't anything like what the people of Gaza are going through, but I did feel like not having a space. We couldn't stay here because it was simply too cold to be in our house at the time. Um, And again, this was in October. It was such a curveball, but it was really, really cold here in Oklahoma City. In Tulsa, they didn't even get hit with this storm. It was just this area. But we basically felt homeless for a little bit because during the day we had no electricity in our home at all. Um, No heat, um, basically couldn't cook anything, couldn't charge our phones. And so we were kind of nomadic. And I just remember thinking that people don't understand how hard it is to not have that safe place to land and not have like access to your belongings and just that routine that you're used to. And, I just want to have compassion for that piece as well, because the city streets that people maybe grew up with or, you know, fell in love with their partner on, like those streets are gone. The buildings that made those spaces feel familiar are gone. They are leveled. They are literally in rubble. Or let's say you put all your, you know, time, energy and money into your business, like a physical business, and it's literally in rubble. Like... I just want to make sure that we're acknowledging that piece of things because in addition to insurmountable grief over the loss of loved ones, people are also grieving their spaces, I would imagine, and just their life, their routine, their stability, their physical safety from the elements. I mean, yeah, items that meant a lot to them, um that may have been in their homes, they're gone. So I just think this is something that we all should be taking into account when we're looking at this situation. I also, in that same breath, I want to talk about aid. So more aid has made its way into Gaza, about 50 trucks in total as of Monday. I'm sorry I don't have a more reliable update for you guys. I know you're hearing this on Wednesday and you're like, okay, Monday, but a lot could have happened since then. I was scouring the internet for updates on this and couldn't find anything but UN officials estimated that about 100 trucks per day would be what is needed to sustain the people of Gaza at a minimum. So we are not even close to what's needed yet. Please keep your eyes and ears on this subject. And if you feel like it, this is something that you could definitely reach out to representatives about as well, because as we've covered before, it is a burgeoning humanitarian crisis. And lastly, today, I wanted to end off talking about President Obama's post. So President Obama posted on Instagram about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I would read it here, but it is very long, (laughs) which is, you know, his M.O. But to summarize it the best I can, I would say that he voiced support for Israel and attested that they, too, have ancient ties to the land, the right to exist as a country, and to defend their people. But he also warned that the humanitarian crisis in Gaza is worsening and that it is extremely severe and that everyone deserves to live safely in their homeland as much as any Israeli does. So he also cautioned that Israel should be diligent in following international law and upholding the values that our countries mutually stand for. And that for today is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with the quote, Neither love nor terror makes one blind. Indifference makes one blind. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review on that platform or a shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us to be able to keep creating the news du jour and reach more people who need a calmer space to consume the news. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash sugarfree media. And that is also linked in our show notes. You can follow us on social media at newsdujour.podcast on both Instagram and TikTok. You can follow my personal account at itsannybowls on both platforms as well. Any little noises you may hear in the background are my rescue pup. He has a little separation anxiety and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from. Oh. Oh.